Oh, uh, today's daf is hey five. We pick up in the middle of Dalit Amzet. We're dealing with the fact that in the Mishnah, Rabbi Mayer, even when you pay a full shekel for you and somebody else, Rabbi Mayer insists on two call bones, two types of fees. So the Gemara basically said that Rabbi Mayer is of the position that even somebody who pays a straight half shekel pays a fee. Um, and it's um, and based on this idea that the, the shekel of eight that God showed Moshe, the half shekel, presumably it, all, it has to be totally pure, so every real-world, non-Platonic half-shekel is a little bit less perfect, and therefore you need this round, this thing to to round. Um, and um, so that's Rabbi Meir. So now the Gemara continues um, on the two dots. There's a little olive in uh, parentheses, in curved parentheses, about uh, about two-fifths of the way down. And then there's two dots. Now we go to the next line of the Mishnah. Nasan Sela Lito Shekel. You gave a Sela and you got back a Shekel. Again, it's confusing because a Sela in the Mishnah is a biblical Shekel. And a Shekel in the Mishnah is a half Shekel. So effectively, you gave a Shekel, you got back a half Shekel. The Mishnah says, Shchayv Shnei Kolbonot. You have to pay the two Kolbons, two, two of these fees. So now, why is that, right? Well, you would think that's your normal transaction. You give a half, a whole, you get back a half, you get back your change. Maybe that should only be one fee. So why does the Mishnah have you paying two fees? So Amr Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Lezer says that line of the Mishnah goes according to Rebbe Meir. Um, now, I should mention that in the Tosefta, actually, it explicitly says, Give Rebbe Meir. So while it sounds a little bit shocking, here's a, a position of Rebbe Meir, and then the Stam Mishnah continues, and it sounds like it's the Chachamim, and he says, no, 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 that line is still Rebbe Meir. That actually is how it's identified in the Tosefta. So remember, according to Rebbe Meir, even a straight half shekel, you'd pay a fee. So if you do two things, you both do an exchange. You give a whole and you get back a half. So that ha- that's one fee. And then you get your straight fee for just giving the half. So therefore he says this idea that you give two fees when you give a whole and get back half is Rabbi Meir. One of the fees for the rounding and one of the fees for the exchange. <laughs> the Tanya will skip the parentheses. We taught in the bright stuff. Elu chayavim bekalbon, etc. He basically quotes our Mishnah. Question to Tanya or did not. Anyway, the following are chayavim bekalbon, and gives the case of if you pay for two people, it's one kalbon. Kalbon echad. Rabbi Meir base kalbonot. Rabbi Meir says that it's two kalbonot. Now, how does that prove that it's Rabbi Meir, other than making the point that um, that Rabbi Meir says you always give a kalbon, even for a straight half shekel. So for a whole shekel, you give two kalbons. And therefore, for a whole shekel, you get back a half. You give two, one again for the one you always give, and one for the exchange. It also could be the reason it says the Tanya, even though it seems to be quoting the Mishnah, is for the reason I said, that in the Tosefta, that line in the Mishnah ends with saying that when you give a whole and get back a half, you give two, Dive Rebbe Meir. And sometimes what you get in the Yerushalmi, it happens in Babi as well, but often in the Yerushalmi, is it quotes the beginning, and the proof is really from the end. So it really could be here that the proof is not just an inference that Rebbe Meir would always have you pay one and therefore in this case have you pay two, but that actually in the Tosefta it explicitly says that when you give a whole and get back a half, you pay two, Okotivre Rebbe Meir, which is exactly what here, um, what's his name is saying, what Rebbe Lezer is saying. Yes. But so. the, the, the re, when, if you have to pay a Kalbone for the exchange when you get back, that can't be explained in terms of the platonic... You know, no, so there's two thing. reasons. Right. One is a transaction fee. Right. right, one is a transaction fee. And one is the standard amount you always pay with every right. half. One is because of the impurity. Right. One is the exactly. service. Exactly. Okay. So that's what Rebbe... That, so we're saying that line is Rebbe Mayer. Now, the Amar, Umar, sometimes, you know, in the Yushalmi it drops an Aleph. Like Rebbe Ba in right. the Yushalmi is Rebbe Ava. Um, so often it drops the Aleph. So Umar means the Amar, Amar, Rav, but Rav says, Divi No, that line that when you get back a half, you pay two kobanot, everybody agrees to that, even the Chachamim. Now why? The Chachamim say a straight half shekel you wouldn't pay, so why are you paying two here? So, now the problem is that it's quoting Rebbe Meir, and um, again, there's a real problem here with the text. Um, so anyway, let's read it. The Amar Rebbe Meir, Echad Shekel Shu Notein, Echad Shekel Shu Snotel, Echad Ludive Torah. Um, so, um, so basically saying, according to Rebbe Meir, it really skipped what the Chachamim would say. But according to Rebbe Meir, you would actually pay not two in this case, you pay three. Why three? You pay one for just the transaction of giving the money. 
you pay one for getting the change, <laughs> and you pay, they get you coming and going, right? It used to be, right, on the bridges, right? They used to be only yeah, charge you in one direction, now they charge you both directions. <laughs> they get you coming and going. So you get, for, for any transaction, you give the whole shekel, you pay one, you get back a half, you pay another one, and every half shekel anyway, not just for the transaction, but for the fact that you're paying the half shekel, is you give one, and that's Echachud Var Torah, one based on this Pasuk in the Torah, based on what we already said. It's very bizarre, because according to that, then if you give a straight half shekel, you should give two, right? Just the transaction of giving, plus the normal one, you know? So I really can't, can't tell you that I really fully explained the logic here about when you are giving and when not, you know? Because, so anyway, somehow says that according to America, you give three in this case, and according to the Chamin, you do give two. What's the two? If you gave a straight half, you'd give zero. But if you give a whole, you're paying two. One for giving too much, and the other so and the other for get, getting back. Why the count as two transactions? I gotta say, I don't understand what it's. I don't understand. Rabbi Lezer makes a lot more sense to me. Okay, and now the Gemara continues, or maybe it, maybe this is like the uh, a duplication of the same line. Um, and according to Rav, meaning according to Rav, according to Rabbi Meir, it would be three kabbalot. As Rabbi Yimya, Rabbi Shmuel, Bar Rabbi Yitzchak, Peshem Rav, Shlosha kabbalot inun. There are three kabbalot again, according to Rabbi Meir. Echad shekhet shenotein, echad shekhet shenotel, echad uzvar Torah. Okay, so basically, and therefore according to Rabbi Meir, there would be three. And according to the Chachamim, actually the line that says two, when you give one and get back a half, works because it's one. You pay a kabbalah for each side of the transaction. Right. Again, if that's true, then why, according to the Chamin, every half shekel you shouldn't always pay one? I don't really understand. So, uh, again, uh, I don't think I'm just being stupid here. I, you know, I looked at the Mepharshim. Nobody seems to be able, at least as far as I've been able to see, to explain it in a way that really, I think, uh, fully makes sense of it. But, okay. I do want to use this opportunity to say, you know, this double language. Part of it, as I said, but all these parentheses we've dealt, just dealt with, part of it, as I said, is that the Ushami has a different syntax than, you know, a style than the Bobbly. So some things would just seem like, you know, they doesn't have the stom to create the flow and something seems a little more abrupt. But I also wanted to make a mention because I, um, because uh, in my exchange with Professor Seth Schwartz, he mentioned to me um, that um, uh, you, of course, know that, you know, the Yerushalmi Shkallim has been heavily influenced by the Bobbly. I said, oh, really? So, it's <laughs> so apparently, um, uh, uh, Zussman, who's the big scholar of Yerushalmi, who was the one um, sort of who wrote the introduction to that, new, that I said they came out with a whole manuscript of Xav Yad Leiden. They redid the whole thing in this one volume. Anyway, he wrote the whole introduction to that. He did a study many years ago, like 30 years ago, I'm trying to track down the article, where he basically shows that the, that the Yerushalmi as it's printed in the current text has two layers to it. The original Yerushalmi layer and a second layer that was heavily influenced basically, you know, by the Bavli and it sort of got integrated. Which not, leads just, to all not just Shekhalim? No, specifically Shekhalim. And that one of the reasons for it was that because when they decided to uh, print Shekhalim in the Bavli, which he also sort of Assumes, like I was saying, is, ha- is just for completion. If you're doing all of Moed, has a Bavli, and Shkalim is the only thing that didn't, so the printers decided, let's include Shkalim with the Yushalmi in the Bavli, um, that in that process somehow, and I'm not, I, don't got, I don't have the exact particulars, which is why I'm trying to track down the article, but somehow some other, whether it was gloss or version or some other thing got grafted onto it, and created this whole Bavli layer that exists in our current Yerushalmi Shkalim. And when, so when you go to the new edition of the Ksav Yad Leiden, of the transcription of the Ksav Yad Leiden, it's very clear what the original layer was wow. and what the added layer is. So some of these things, when the text seems to duplicate and so on, and we'll have a little bit more of that today, you should be aware that there's definitely, you know, in this text of all the Yerushalmis, there's a particular Bavli layer of influence. All right, so anyway, let's continue now. Alchim v'ashutafim shechayavim b'kavon. Yes. Can you uh, describe uh, some? Well, when we come up to sections of it, I'll try to point it out. Okay, but I, but I, right now I've only read like a one sentence summary of it, so I'm trying to get the article, and if I'll, I'll read the article, I'll let you know more. Okay. Well, what we just did, right? Though it's not clear there what's bavleik about it, but some of this, 
you know, but it could just be some of the, but, but yes, some of this doubling language that we hear, have here could be a part of the influence of a second version that's been grafted on. But what's particularly Bavleic about what we did is not clear, but I'll try to point out something later today. Okay. Now, you have brothers and, um, and, and um, uh, uh, partners, but of course, we're, well, I'm going to read this as a, as a hybrid, like Avram says, right? In this week's parsha, there's actually a phrase for this. I'm sure Rabbi Dove here knows the word, which is the vav that serves to create a hyphenated word, not two things. Ger v'toshav means a resident alien. Ger toshav anochimachem. The vav actually creates a hyphenated word. So you know the name for that. How the, that, that there's a, bib, a term in biblical Hebrew how the vav does that. So achim v'hashutafim means brother slash you know brother partners. Okay, so brothers, partners, although, again, Rambam does read it as two cases. Shechayavim the Kalbon and Pturmi Meister Behema. The brother partners who are obligated in the Kalbon are exempt from Meister Behema. Because obligated in the Kalbon means that you're there as individuals, not as a, not as a corporate entity. So, therefore, you are a normal partnership of multiple individuals. So, therefore, each one is Chayav in a, you know, So, if you give for all of you, you have to pay a Kalbon for everyone. But you are exempt from Meister Behema because Shuta food partnership is exempt from Meister Behema um, so what's that case they divided the estate and then they decided to go back into partnership so in that case what, since they divided the state, it's everybody's private property that they're now partnering in. So that's a normal partnership. A normal partnership is Chayv and Akabon. It sees, it sees a collection of individuals here and an exemption of Meister Behema. Shechayavim b'Meiser Behema p'Termin a Kabbalah. The reverse that you're Chayv and Meiser Behema and exempt in a Kabbalah, which means that you're a corporate entity, is b'Shelochilku. You never divided the estate, so that's like the one case in Halacha where Halacha recognizes this idea of a corporation as opposed to a partnership, an estate that hasn't been divided, that exists as an entity and not just as a partnership of individuals. Um, I'm a Rebbe Lezer. Rebbe Lezer says. That's only when the when they sort of divided and re- reconnected that they're considered to be a partnership and not an estate is only when the original division was not down the center that one person took the goats and the other person took the Tiashima um, rams what's a Tiash rams this translates to kids kid oh kid goats no Gideon are kid goats. No, Tiyashim are, 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 are adult goats. Are adult goats, right. Gideem Nasu Tiyashim is the phrase. Okay. So when they split, one person took kid goats and the other person took the, the adult goats. Tiyashim Kinegadim, or the reverse. Right, or whatever. Aval, so meaning it was not like everybody got exactly half of every item. Aval, in Chilka Gideem Kinegadim, if we said, you know, you take half these go- half the kid goats, I'll take half. You take half the adult goats, I'll take half. Tiyashim Kinegadim, in that case, so, that is the portion that you always deserved. This is the famous debate that the Bavli calls Yesh Breira or not. Do we say that when we do a division, Kuvrar Hadavar retroactively shows that this is always the part that you are going to get? So, we divide an estate. If, you know, if I take the house and somebody else takes the car, we can't say that when we got the estate, it turns out that the, uh, the house was always mine and the car was always his. It's like, Clearly, that's a new decision about how to rearrange the division. But if what we say is that you know that he takes you know that that, that this guy takes one takes take, takes takes one, one car and I take the other car, and the same type of a car, he just gets one and I get the other. We could say that that shows that retroactively, even when we got the estate, that was the portion that was always coming to us. So when somehow it's a type of a lit down the middle, we can imagine that even though the decision was made later, it somehow retroactively demonstrates that this was always the portion that I was going to get. I can never get a nafkamina of that, though. Well, here's a nafkamina. Okay, so the nafkamina, the Gemara imagines here, is the following. Now, what should that matter? Right now, we still divided, and um, and if we still divided, and then we're going to rejoin, it's still going to be a, a new partnership. So the, two, the so the so, so the Mefarshim here say two things. One is that when you reconstitute, can we say that you're reverting back to the original estate, or do we view this as a new thing? Okay. So if basically what we did was the type of division was clearly, I'll tell you what, I'll swap you because when we inherit the estate, we imagine it. I have fifty percent of the car, I have fifty percent of the house, and then we'll say, look, I'll swap you my portion in the house for your portion in the car. 
clearly there was a transaction that took place to create the division. And then when we, if we decide to join it together, it's clearly a new thing. Because it's clearly not just like, you know, the estate pulled apart and came back. It was actually with some bartering and exchanging and transactions. So if we were to rejoin, it would now be a new, new thing. It would be a new entity, a new partnership. But if we basically said, you know, we all inherited, you know, this, I don't know, pile of books. Here, let's split it down the middle. You take those books, I take these books. And two days later, we said, you know what, let's get back together again and go, you know, and, and, and join again into partnership and be booksellers. And we put all of our books back. There, since there was no real transaction imagined at the initial place, we just took our natural halves, and then we came back, we could be seen as reconstituting the old entity. Now, the entity so, always existed. It always existed. It was never really like we sort of split it up as much as like took our natural half so we can somehow read. Now, that's not so obvious. I would say at the end of the day, once you split, you split. How do you know you can reconstitute? But there's another application of this, which is not just when we get back together have we created the, a new entity or reconstituted the old one, but there's another halacha by Meister Behemoth. Not only is a, as an animal owned by partners exempt from Meister Behema, but Lakuach is exempt from Meister Behema. If I go to Charlie here and I buy Charlie's uh, a cow, um, and then the cow gives birth, so that actually would be exempt because, well, actually there's a question, is Lakuach putter in the first generation, the second generation? I don't want to get into all that. But at some level, if I buy something from Charlie and it's not my original animal, I'm exempt from Meister Behema because it's purchased. So here's a more obvious napkinino. If we split the estate and he takes half the animals and I take half, if we see that as just we're taking the part that naturally was coming to us, there was no transaction, so those animals would be hive in mice of behema. If, however, we said, here, I'll give you these animals and I'll take the car, so then half of the animals Charlie's got are lakuach, and there because he, he, bought, you know, he sort of bought them in exchange for his portion somewhere else. And therefore, it's exempt from Meister Behemoth if you view it as tra- a transaction in Lakuach rather than as a natural split of the estate. Why is the word Breira to conceptualize that? Uh, that's well, that's always caught, that's what right. got me stuck. So, you know, here it could be, right, so in this case of the estate, you don't have, the, the, you don't have to say it's like Kuvra Lechatchila, that when the guy died, that this was your portion. You could just sort of say that, you know, that, that it's not a new type of a transaction. But, but what I'm trying to say is, and sometimes you could, I'm going to say, if I take this from Meister, Motzei Shabbos, it's like Erev Shabbos, it was already designated as the Meister. That's more braver, that it shows retroactively this was the status. So here the idea is, if we're splitting it down the middle, we're trying to say it wasn't like a transaction and a barter took place. Well, how could it be that no barter took place? It's only no barter took place if the half that I took was always the half that was coming to me. And that's a type of a Brera that it retroactively demonstrates that. So wait, let's just read one more sentence. Let's get this idea done with. So it says, that's what he says. And in that case, it's not like when they split up, it's not like they created a new entity. It's not a Lakuach problem. And when they rejoin, it will reconstitute the estate. Um, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan disagrees. He says, no, afilu gedim negedim tiyashim negedim He disagrees with his brain right here, saying that there's a, there could be times when it's not seen as something new and not seen as transactional. He disagrees with that. Even if we're split down the middle, you get the kid goats, I get half the kid goats. You get half the adult goats, I get half the adult goats. Kilakuchosein. Nevertheless, the, when you, once you make the split, you, it's like you swap your portion in the state for somebody else's portion, and it's considered a purchase. Um, and therefore you're exempt from Meister even when you split it down the middle um, like we taught in the, in the Mishnah Taman if you purchase something if you receive a gift you're exempt from Meister so again the difference here is is that do we say that when we split the estate do we now become Chayev and Meister because now it's personal ownership um, or do we say no those animals that we split are Lakuach and those animals are exempt so that's one question. When we split it down the middle, is that lakuach and exempt, or is that personal ownership and chayev, or new, you know, like original ownership, I should say, and chayev, or new ownership and exempt? And a similar issue is when we reconstitute the estate, are we creating a new something new called a partnership, which is exempt from Meister Behemoth because of the idea of partnership, or are we reconstituting the old of this, you know, of this of this entity of the estate, and therefore it's obligated Meister Behemoth? Yes, question. Did they have wills in those days? Do they have wills? They had something called Matnas Shrivmeira, which is a deathbed bequest, which is sort of like a will, and they, they had things somewhat similar to that. In that case, though, that wouldn't be considered a Yerusha, that wouldn't be considered effectively a gift. 
Um, and it would have the halacha. Well, it would have the halacha of mitan lo matana, which is the other part of this, but it would not be directly this case. Okay. So the Gemara says like this. Oh, now, Rabbi Chia, I'm a Rabbi Yirmiya boy. So Rabbi Chia, in the name of Rabbi Yirmiya, asked the following question. Lulama lace non amrin, why don't we say, Lulama ain anachnu omrim, lace non amrin, why don't we say, Pamim shen chayavim bezelbizeh, I can give you a scenario where, based on how they divided the estate, they could be obligated both in the carbone and the Meiser Behema. There are times you're exempt from both. It's not one, it's not either, it's, you know, if it's this way with one, it's the opposite with the other. I can give you scenarios. What are the scenarios? Hey, Chavida, what would be the scenarios? So we'll skip the parentheses. Which part of the estate are you dividing? If you divide all of the property, let's say the other property, the movable property, or certainly, let's say, the money of the estate, and you don't divide the animals. So, in that case, when you come to the question of the shekel, you look at basically most of the you know, sort of assets of the estate. So, from that perspective, everybody's got their portion, you're individuals, you each give. When you look at the Meister behemoth question, you look at the question of who owns the behemoths. So you didn't divide the behemoths. The behemoths are still owned by the estate. The behemoths are owned by the corporation. The other assets are owned privately. So for Meister Behema, you go by the corporation and it's Chayav. And for Shkolin, you go by the other assets and it's also Chayav because everybody's an individual. Okay, so that's the case of Chayav. So then the reverse is also true. Let's say you divided the behemoths. Those are owned privately. It's Lakuach. Right, and then maybe you New reconstitute it, or if you reconstitute it, it's shutfet, but you divided the behemoth, so those are either lakuach, or if, or ne- or they're, if you rejoin, now it's shutafut, but the and but the basically the assets of the estate are owned by the, by the estate. So in that case, you're putter from Maeser behemoth, because once you divide it, it has this lakuach status, but you're also exempt from shkolim, from the kalbon, because it's one estate that is, has really the assets, and that estate gives the shkalim, maybe on behalf of its members, but nevertheless, it's one entity, and therefore it is exempt from the kalbon. You look at the major assets. Now, of course, a fascinating question here that is not being asked and being assumed, and I'll just put it on the table, is, why the heck should my status vis-a-vis shekel go by the estate I inherited? The shekel isn't an obligation based on a tax on the estate. The shekel shekel is my personal obligation. So even if I had no money before my inheritance, my status vis-a-vis the shekel should be defined independently. And look, let's say I have my own investments plus I share an estate that I inherited. Okay? So why should my personal identity be defined in terms of I'm part of a member of a household with my siblings as opposed to, for 20 years, I've been living as an independent person. I, I don't like any of my siblings. I haven't spoken to them at all. I'm a totally an independent person. Now we all inherit this estate. And now when I come to paying my half shekel, you say, oh, you're not really an individual. You're a member of this family defined by this estate. Right? It's not so clear why we would say that. Right? So that's an interesting assumption here, that once this, these brothers or whatever it is inherit the estate, their identity versus Shkalim, which is not based on assets, it's based on your personal status, right, is somehow now all defined through the lens of this estate that they inherited. Okay, so I just want to, we'll have a question somewhat like that coming up, but I want to point out the irony of that, and that's particularly the strangeness of that, and that's brought out here by the question of, well, did you divide the assets or divide the behemoth? For the behemoth, you're this way, for the assets, you're that way. Why should Shekel go by assets and not go just by my personal status? Okay, so let's see now as the Gemara continues. Um, so he said, look, I can give you scenarios in the opposite way. The Gemara doesn't respond. Wait, you know? they're, they're, putter, they're putter from the Shekel or putter from the Kalbon? No, the Kalbon. But I just met my status for the Shekel is seen this way. The Naskamina is do I pay a Kalbon or not, right? Nobody's saying I don't pay the Shekel. Right. But in terms of considering, right now, maybe the point is what assets are you using to pay the Shekel? If I pay the Shekel out of my own pocket, so yes, thank you, Dove. That helps right, a lot. Like, if I no pay, the, way I can pay the if I pay, if, right, part of it right, if I pay, right, if I pay the shekel out of my own pocket and from my own bank account, then of course I'm an individual and I pay the kalpas. But if the shekel is being paid for the members of the estate from the estate's bank account, then for that we'll look at it as right. I think you're right. So thank you. That helps. 
So it's not just the question of your chayv and the shekel. Everybody's chayv and the shekel, but are you paying the kabbal? And maybe for that, the question is, well, where are you paying the shekel from? Which funds? Belong to anybody which funds are the shekel being drawn from? And when they're being drawn from estate funds, we look at it as though the estate is paying the shekel for its members. Okay, so now let's take a look. So it says it depends. Are you dividing the animals? Are you dividing the bank accounts? So okay, Amar Abimana. So said Rabbi Mana. Hadad at Amar. You know, like sort of like. You know, you know, hechi dami. When do we say this? We this is we say this thing. But shalai said behema rose when the animals were not the majority of the assets of the estate. Avalim hayza behema rose was the majority was the animals were the majority of the assets. So even if you divided the cash, if we all still hold the animals in you know undivided partnership or undivided as the estate assets. So in that case, hein hein ikar nechasim, they will define the they will define the, the wealth. They will define the basic uh, you know sort of uh, entity of the estate. So basically, what we did is we all divided up the cash and put that in our private bank accounts, but we remained sort of undivided the ownership of all of the animals that we inherited. So in that case, when we come to pay the shekel, we wouldn't pay the kalbon because we're still considered unified. The basic estate is still one entity because that's still defined by the animals. Now this, again, is strange because the way we just explained it is I'll pay, I'll, whether I do or don't pay the kalbon makes a sense whether I'm get, getting the shekel from the estate assets or from, the, um, or from, you know, from my private assets. But presumably I'm not going and handing a goat over for my half shekel. We, we talked about money changing. We never talked about handing over actual like non-money. So again, why the fact that we haven't divided the animals means that when we pay our half shekel, we're viewed as the money is coming from the estate and we're coming as a unified entity rather than as individuals, again, I don't know. It still seems, you know, it is still something here that's very strange about that. Is this a clarification or a kasha? No, it's a clarification. It's a, a clarification. Hechi dami. Okay, so again, that's why it seems like it's not just a question where the check is being drawn from, but that somehow, if they're all partners in the estate, it somehow does define somewhat of their personal status. I agree with what Rabbi Dov said. If you could say that the nafkamina is where the money is coming from, coming from the estate, coming from my personal, but then what's this idea that it gets defined by the animals, if the animals are the majority? Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Rabbi Avin Amar Rabbi Shimi Bai. So Rabbi Avin and Amar Rabbi Shimi asked, so, um, so this, I understand, is essentially, there's a question how to read this, but I'd like to read this as the question that I just posed to you. Just because they are, you got, you got, you got to like the phrase, like I said, a corporation is a person. Just because they're like one person, just because the estate makes them like one person, one entity, for Meister Behemoth purposes, how does it exempt, get, exempt them out of the Kalbone? Right? Who cares? The Kalbone is a question of what you pay for your shekel, which is your private obligation. Who cares if, as far as the animals are concerned, it's all owned by some shared type of an estate. So he doesn't understand how this gets you out of the Kalbone. Amalei, so who, he said back to him, not clear who said back to him, look, so the answer came back was, no, the reason you're exempt in the case of the estate is, remember the halacha, which is, if I give a whole shekel for me and for somebody else, if it's not a loan, if I'm basically giving it for, for me and somebody else and for that other person's like gift or something of that nature, then you just give the whole shekel and you don't pay the kalbah. So saying, really, the reason that you're exempt for the kalbon is not so much that you're one person. Okay, you're multiple people. But again, assuming you're drawing the money for the shekel from the estate, if the estate here is giving, let's say there are two brothers who inherited this, ha'achim ta'ashutim, so it assumes two. So there's two brothers, and the estate gives one shekel, so it's not because we're saying you're conceptually one person for shekelvin. Fine, you're two people, but one shekel is being given for two people. So therefore, when, I, when it's given for multiple people, all wrapped, bundled up together, you don't give the kalbon. Actually, the mission said you give one kalbon, you don't give multiple kalbonos. But the basic answer is, don't consider them one person. Consider them multiple people. But nevertheless, it's one thing which is given for two, you know, one full shekel given for two people, that exempts them for the kalbon. So then the most question is, that it has nothing to do with them being, being heirs and being, inheriting the estate. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a case of giving one thing for multiple people. So Gemara says like this. So let's take a look. 
מעתה אפילו חוק וחוזר ונשתת של חייבים במעשה בהם הפטורים מן הקלבן. אם זה נכון, אז כל טקסט הוא פרובלמטי. ותנין הם חייבים בכל פטורים במעשה בהם, אז הדרך שהטקסט הסוויקט הוא, אפילו חוק וחוזר ונשתת של, זה should be פטורים מן הקלבן. Meaning, according to you, it has nothing to do with them being in the state. It has to do with the fact that you're giving one coin for multiple people. So if that's true, even when they split up and rejoin, they should be exempt from the cow bone, because it's one coin for multiple people. So it's sort of, again, it's sort of clear where we're going, meaning we basically said, when you're this entity of a corporation, of an estate, then you're chayv and meiser and you're putzer from, and you're putzer from um, the cow bone. So first the Gemara says, well, what are you sort of shared in your, you know, in your entity? Are you sort of, you know, what are you in a state in? In the behema, in the cash, what are you in a state in in terms of that? But that then, in a way, highlighted the fact that it's not totally about your identity. It's really about the assets. So that then led to the question of one minute. So who cares if from these assets you're, you're, you're in a corporate, you're part of a corporation? you're still an individual so who cares you know you should always be chayv and kalbon and the answer at this stage is you're right the reason you're exempt from kalbon is not because you're seen as a part of a corporate entity the reason you're exempt is because one person is paying for multiple people so then one says so then why does the mission distinguish between whether the estate divided or didn't divide or all those things it didn't really have anything to do with the concept of the estate according to that okay so let's see what the Gemara's answer is again we have to do a little crossing out here in the text okay but now the two dots would be Bob B'Shem Abab he basically says it doesn't matter whether it's two brothers that inherited their father or two brother-in-laws that inherited their fathers-in-laws. Now, what exactly that means is very strange. First of all, two brother-in-laws, two brothers can, you know, two brother-in-laws don't inherit from their respective father-in-laws and they certainly don't inherit the same type of an estate. So what, again, what that line to me is unclear. Some of the Mephoshim are basically saying that his answer is, you know what, you're right. It has nothing to do with being in a state. Even if it was, it, it's really not because of the status of an estate, it's really because of their status that even if it was not a, a Yerusha, it was like brother-in-laws who got different things from their father-in-laws, nevertheless, if it's one gift for multiple people, you're exempt. Again, it doesn't really answer the question. Because the Mishra makes it clear that it's about the entity of the estate and it matters if it was divided and reconstituted, whereas here we're basically trying to push and say it's not about the estate. Um, and therefore, and if that last line means what it just did, it doesn't matter. You're right. Whether it's a real inheritance or not a real inheritance, it's all the same halacha, then we don't know why it matters when you divided and reconstituted that it should be a different halacha. So... I wish I could make this Gemara easier for all of you, but I'm doing the best I can, okay? <laughs> I'm only, I, what? Yeah, I mean, in corporations with uh, business, everybody has to give a shekel. Right. <laughs> well, that's true. Everybody ah. is giving a shekel. The question is whether you're giving a dark, uh, whether you're giving a carbone or not. Okay, let's finish, okay, let's finish this. The last line is a lot easier. What would you do with these carbonos? Okay, which sort of also indicates their role. What would you do with these little fees? So Rabbi Meir Omer Lishkolim, you'd add it to the Shkolim Fund, which very much fits with Rabbi Meir. <coughs> the, person of, the purpose of the Kalbone is to round out the Shekel. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Linadava, you'd give it for different Korbanot to the base major. So Shkolim go for regular Korbanot. Nidava are sort of um, free o- olas that are brought in the Mizbeach when there's no business and you want the Mizbeach to look dizzy. So it's a type of a communal korban, but it's not the standard communal obligatory korbanot. So it has a related purpose, but not the same as the korbanot. Normal korbanot. Reb Shimon Shizuri Omer, Rikwe Zahav Tzipoy Lamiz Lebeis Kachei Hadashim, which is... Um, Fascinating, right? That's what they did with the fire pans from Adas Korach. They banged them into these covers for the uh, for the mizbeach. You know, for the here they you make it the, uh, you make it like gold plating in the Kachei Kadashim. So why of all things that I have absolutely no idea. The last two make a lot of sense, sort of are understandable where they're coming from. Then Shuchanima you'd use it to pay for the money changers, especially if you understand that it's basically a money changer fee. And some say, you pay for the expenses of, not just general, but it's understood as the travel expenses of 
getting of collecting the half shekel. You have to pay to send people out and for their travel expenses and all of that. So the last two are basically, the di- this is really the difference already. Mayor says it's to round out the shekel. And the other approach is, no, these are transaction fees and these are for operating expenses. So whether it goes straight to the money changes, whether it goes to general operating expenses for the whole process of collection, at least there we understand what it's doing. Okay, so that was quite complicated. Both the idea about why you pay multiple transaction fees, like the idea that when you gave one and get back a half, you pay two transaction fees, um, you know, some complicated ideas there. Also, we understand the basic idea. Uh, it's a fascinating point, as I said, because halacha doesn't really have much of an idea of a corporation. Mm-hmm. So this concept of an estate and dividing and reconstituting the difference between a partnership and a corporation, and for Meister Behema, you're high of when it's one entity, but when it gets divided, it's either lakuach, or when it gets reconstituted, it's, part, it's partnership. Whereas by, by the Kalbon, the more it's one entity, even if you give multiple shkalim, if it's seen as one entity, you wouldn't give multiple kalbonot, um, but then the Gemara at the end seems to challenge that. Why should our relationship to these, this money, define our status vis-a-vis our shekel? So we had sort of said maybe it's where you're drawing the funds from, but that seems to be the question at the end where the Gemara seems to actually step back from the idea that it has to do with a partnership and say really anybody who's giving one thing for multiple people would, you know, would be exempt from the call bone. Again, what that has to do with the partnership, with the estate idea, is the challenge at the end where the answer was not very clear. Okay. How do you mean it for creating an estate uh, as opposed to partnerships? Right, is if you lose all your money with bankruptcy, so right. to speak, and you had loans, right. nobody's hired to be paid. Exactly, out. exactly. But, but it also comes up more in ritual discussions, like the nature of ownership of a corporation and comments on Pesach and so on, and how right. much are these things considered to be like individual ownership or non-individual ownership and so on. But, but that's true in secular law. In, right. in Jewish law, debts transfer from generation to generation. Well, only on, only on property, not as an yeah. abstract debt. Okay, anyway... So let's take a look at the next Mishnah. Next article. Okay. Basically, if you're doing local collections of Shkalim and then you're going to send them to the base of Mikdash, rather than carrying a bag full of these, of, of these silver things, you can, tra- you can exchange them for dark konot, which are gold coins, which I believe are drachma. Right? Is the Roman drachma, was that a gold coin? Anybody know, Charlie? Uh, uh, real this is a gold coin. A gold coin. Okay, I don't yeah. know. You can take a look whether drachmas. They actually getting. date to the time of the Persian rule. Really, Darkon? So it's not a drachma. Okay, fine. Anyway, whatever it is. Okay, name Masri Haderach in order to alleviate the weight of the tra- uh, you know of, of of shipping those things to the base of Mikdash. Kishem Shayu Shofar Open Mikdash. We're going to find out in the later Mishnah that there were different uh, literally horns in the Mikdash. They were basically like boxes that you'd put your money in, and they'd be shaped like horns, where it has a little slit in the top and a big base at the bottom, so you can't stick your hand in to take out anything, okay, but it collects a lot. So the same way they had that in the Beit HaMikdash, when they were collecting in their local cities and villages, they would also put the money in these type of shofar roads. Yes, Charlie? Oh, uh, there is another opinion that is a Greek point. It is a Greek point. Okay. Kachayu in Dina. Similarly, they would have it in the Medina, which some may say means in Yerushalayim. Others say it just means in the, you know, throughout the country. We'll find out the significance of Shofarot later. Now, They collected their entire village and they sent the money off to the base of Mishash and on the way, there were bandits and they got, sto- got stolen or got lost. So who's liable? Have they paid or not paid yet? So in the Truma, if the the uh, sort of the um, um, Truma the the, uh, the has been taken, um, the allotment has been taken. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. So then, well, I'll say what it means right now. Basically, what we're going to find is the following: is that all the monies that were collected were put in these various shofar rows in the mikdash, and then at three times in the year. Actually, I think you had this on the first day. Mm-hmm. Three times at the year, they would take from those collected monies and take them out of those boxes and not exactly clear what they would do with it because they wouldn't buy all the animals for the next four months. But maybe they either transfer to their bank account. But they would remove the actual monies that were collected out of those boxes at three times in the year and start, you know, putting them to use in terms of buying the funds that they need. And that's called taking the truma. Like, you know, removing from the collected money and actually starting to use those funds. Now, let's say, here it is, 
it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. We have to start bringing new korbanos. We're going to take some of this money out there and start using it to buy new korbanos. The only problem is, is that, and this you had on the first uh, on the first stop, is that there's a lot of villages, you know, with 93 percent of you know precincts reporting. There's a lot of villages that we don't yet have their you know their donations. Some of them it's going to take them six months to get us their donations, and we have to buy the new korbanos today. So what do we do? So we take from the existing funds, but we say the money that we're taking now out of the already collected funds, you know, because money is fungible, that seems to be drawing on all the funds that have yet to be collected, you know, at this stage. It's drawing on the money that was already collected and then the money that will in the future be collected. So that act of taking the truma, if you've got money, your village has money on the road, and here we are in the base of Mikdash and we're taking this truma and we're saying this counts for all the monies that are yet to be collected, we're implicitly basically saying that that money on the road, we're already seeing it as if it's here and if we're drawing on it. So then, in a sense, you've now delivered your... By, by the fact that we took from it with yours in mind, was like you already delivered your money, and now, if it gets lost, it's our base on Mikdash money that's getting lost, not your village's money that's getting lost. Okay, so that's so the point. The cash flow is... Right, exactly. Exactly. Okay, good, 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 good parallel. So it says, okay, in Nitra if the money's already been drawn on... So then the money effectively this stuff is like it's already been received and the money that's lost is the base of Mikdash's money that's been lost. So the people that were carrying it are essentially the Shomrim of the base of Mikdash. So they have to swear to the Gizbarin, to the treasurers of the base of Mikdash that they weren't negligent and then um, the village would be exempt. We paid our money. It was essentially effectively received and then it got lost. We're exempt and the, uh, the carriers make, take their oath. But if the money has not yet been drawn on in the base of Mikdash, so effectively it has not yet been received, in that case, the people that lost the funds were the shom- the monies were still of the people of the village. And they lost the money of the village. So they have to swear to the villagers that they did not were not negligent. And here's the big consequence. Shoklim Tachtehem. Have oh, to give a whole other like losing a blank check. Yeah, uh, exactly. Nimsu Oshich Zira Magnavin. Now, if you then, after this happened, so the Bnei went through this whole new levy, and everybody had to give again, and then you found the old money, or the money got returned from the Ganavin, they had a, 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 a bout of conscience. Of course, the first thing you want to ask is, can this new thing that we collected count towards next year? And the answer is, no. <laughs> it was given for this year, so they all go towards this year's Corbinot. Sorry, guys. You don't get so the money back? You don't get the money back. Yeah, because once you give the Shechem, that's going to be the next Mishnah, it's hectic. So once you've given it, it's hectic. Now, if you just made an announcement we're going to collect the money and we haven't done it yet and then you find it, of course, so you're off the hook. But if you actually gave it, you made it hectic and now you have the old one is hectic today. Now, why do you say hectic because Okay, but this is the assumption the of the problem Mishnah. with that, of course, is it would re- it would make people feel resentment. No kidding. The no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to feel resentment even if the old stuff wasn't found. I have to give again? I just gave. You know, yeah. so let, 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 the, let, let the shluchim be the ones. Exactly. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. Oh, All right, anyway, so, okay, so the Gemara says, Vyasuasun Margiliot, why do we only transfer them into gold coins? Why not, if we want to make it easy to, trans, to, 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 to transport, you know, convert right. it into, into, into diamonds, convert it into pearls? So, Shem, no, the answer is Shemataziel HaMargiliot, we need to act Masid. Because those have more of a, those more fluctuate in value than right. currency. Currency is relatively stable. stable in value. So those, if those go down in value, Hektish will lose out. Ki the Tamin and Taman, like we taught over there, um, in Bechoros, Vakula Nifsin Bikasav, a whole range of things can be redeemed, not only on money, but on any type of valuable. Chutzmi Shkalim, with the exception of Shkalim. Shkalim you cannot redeem on objects, you can only redeem it on money, and for the reason that we are saying right now. The Ain Podim Bikalim, you do not redeem with vessels. Now, of course, that's obvious. If the only thing you can redeem with is money, of course you can't redeem with vessels. But anyway, the Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Rav Gitzchak, Shema Yazilu HaKalim Benim Sehek Shif Mahsid. We're afraid that if you redeem on vessels, that the vessels will go down in value and Hektish will lose out. Ufacha here too, nami shemetazil hamargiliyot, if you did it on 
some pearls or you know um, valuable um, 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 stones, then it would uh, then they would go down in value, and Hector would lose that. What's Can't not clear? Uh, what's not clear is what is the case. It sounds like the case that you don't redeem on Kaling is different from the Shkalin case. But it's not so clear what case that is, because either the either the halacha is that you can redeem on anything for certain types of things that you can redeem, or you can only redeem on coins. This makes it sound like there's another area of halacha where you can redeem on anything but kalim, which is like not not true. So again, where this line, where this line that they're using kalim as an example for, where that applied originally is not clear. But the basic answer is clear. We teach also in Mishnah Bechoros, yes, you cannot redeem shkalim on anything other than coins, because everything else has fluctuating value, and therefore that is too big of a concern of a loss to hectic. Yes. Coins also a fluctuating value. Yes, I was waiting for somebody to say that. <laughs> yes. I was thinking, when did this occur that they became that? Well, but the question is, the question is, is that, is that, so yes, coins of different metals, I assume, have fluctuating, but in areas of fixed currency, I'm sure you know this much better than I do, right? When you have, there was actually a fixed ratio, mm-hmm. I assume set by the government, mm-hmm. you know, that like, X number of silver coins equals one gold right. coin. Now the reality is is that the that the value of gold to silver could fluctuate and has and has. So how how that was handled by the you know? But nevertheless, the reality it was, was generally handled very poorly. By okay, the but, the rea- but the reality was was that there was a fixed ratio. So when you convert your silver coins to gold coins, there's not going to be any loss because even if the value of gold fluctuates vis-a-vis silver, the government, whatever, recognizes that fixed ratio of those coins. And that's what... Yeah. So I was wondering something else. When did did gold actually become an investment in itself that it barred at different values? Yeah, so the Gemara does talk about buying gold as, uh, like, gold bars, not just gold Mm -hmm. coins. But, again, I don't, you know... Some of that comes up in Bab Mitzia, where there's a whole question about what's considered coins and what's considered property, whether gold might be considered property and silver be considered the standard of what's considered money, and there's all these other halakhs. There's a lot of there about whether, right. what is the real metal Okay, let's gold. keep on going. I'm sh- okay, so the word says like this. Okay, Masnisa Atikin Our Mishnah is about new shekels, but not old shekels. What does that mean? It means old shekels is you're still paying last year's shekel. You didn't get around to paying last year's shekel. So when do we say, basically, that... Oh, just Let me just check one thing here. Um, yes, that you would basically collect the money in the villages and then ship it off. That's every year's new collection would be done in the village. But if you basically are have back taxes, are in arrears... Then, and you want to now give your old, last year's shekel, then you have to go to the base on Mikdash. Then you cannot give it in your villages. Okay, so, so, so when we do the village collecting, <coughs> that's only for this year's shekel. Uh, okay, the Tani came, we turn to Atikin bin Mikdash, Vain Atikin bin Medina. In the base of Mikdash, they would collect the old shekels, but not in the Medina. There it would only be for this year. Okay, now this idea of taking an oath, if it got stolen. So the Gemara says, Masnisin b'shomer chinam. Our Mishnah that you take an oath is that you're a Shomer Chinam. But if it's a Shomer Sachar, this would not be the case because a Shomer Sachar is Chayiv in Geneva Aved. It's not taking an oath, you'd actually have to pay. So Amir Biyaba, Vesar Biyaba says, Even by Shomer Sachar, Nignavu is the list in Mizuyan. Avdu, Benisha, Tanisha, Tavasvinat, Biyam. There are scenarios of Geneva Aved which are scenarios of onus. Normally, Geneva and is in the space between full negligence and completely out of your hands, between P and Onus. And that's the space that a Shomer Sachar, a paid guardian, is obligated in. But there are types of Geneva that are, out of your, that are a complete Onus. There's nothing you could have done. You were attacked by armed robbers. There's nothing you could have done. Okay, it wasn't that you didn't lock it up well enough. It wasn't that you try, didn't try to defend it. You had no choice. You were attacked by armed robbers. That's a Geneva, that's an onus that even a Shomer Sachar is exempt from. There's an Aveda. So if you lost it, where did I put it? It slipped out of my pocket. That's obviously, that's pretty close to Pshia. Okay, but it could be an Aveda-like, um, like, you know, uh, lost, not in the sense of I don't know where it is, but lost in the sense of, you know, I, 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 I no longer was able to get it. Uh, you know, I was going ahead in a, um, a, 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 you know, it says like I, I, I was shipping it on a boat and the boat sank. 
Hurricane, so, Sandy. Hurricane Sandy. That's a loss, which is an honor. So it says, it could be we could have scenarios of the Mishnah of even a Shomer Sacha. But it is true, the standard scenario would be one of being a Shomer Chinam and being exempt because you're a Shomer Chinam. So now the Gemara says like this, Amar Reb Yostib Rebbe Simon, Ashi Kemandamar Tarmin Alagabi Vel Ashi This is what I said. The reason when, once they take Truma, it's considered like it's been received, is the opinion that when they took the monies, they were taking it not only on the monies collected, but on the things that were going to be collected as well. But according to the position that they did not take it on stuff that was collected and that was on its way, it was only taken from the monies that were actually in hand. So according to that approach, even once they threw on those funds, until the money has been received, it hasn't been received. So actually, that's a much better position from the village's perspective, right? You would want it to be considered not received until you actually get it out of your hands and are free from any liability, okay? So, oh no, I'm sorry. The opposite. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The opposite is true. You want it to be considered received, I'm sorry, as soon as possible, so if anything goes wrong, your village has already been yoked as clear. Right. So, but if you say it's not considered received until it's received, then the village is on the hook until the money actually gets there. Right, that puts the village in a much a cha- more challenging place. Tor mean ala giburi means um, um, uh, incur expenses for whatever is required in the mikdash. No. Tor means when you take it out, they had where all the monies were put when they came to the Beit mikdash. Then they would draw on three times during the year from all of those shekels and, and basically sort of like, you know, deposit them into the Hekdish's bank account and start writing checks from that that's bank account. Tormin is that act of taking from right, 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 right. Gavoy is money that's been collected right. and Osi Ligvos is the money that is yet to be right, collected. Right, right, right. Okay. But Tormin is when they you take the transfer into the bank account exactly. and, and start writing checks. Exactly. Right. Okay. There were no checks. Right. Okay. Binera Yosha so now we take the idea of the Shavuah. This idea that you would take an oath when something happens to the Shekel only goes according to Rebbe Shimon. Because we've got a little problem. You don't take oaths on Hektish. So what are you doing taking a Shavuah about what happened to the Hektish? So he says that's going according to Rebbe Shimon. So Rebbe Shimon says, Right? If you are chayav in the liability, then even if the object is hectic, they're treated as owned by, uh, they're treated as non-hectic, because you are primarily the one who is liable for them, so they're like your normal property. So basically, the village is going to be liable if the money gets lost. So this shekel is considered to be like normal village funds, because from the monetary perspective, the village will lose out. And therefore, the, sh- the, the shomrim, or the, you know, the, um, the, the shippers, will have to take an oath to the villagers, because it's not like an oath on hektesh. From the villagers' perspective, it's their money. It's not hektesh. And therefore, the, they will have to take an oath. So that works. Um, um, but according to others, why are they taking an oath? This money is hektesh. So if it's not considered to be standard, like as if it's the villagers' money, why is there an oath? So I'm Reb and No, it's not just Rebbe Shimon. Mishum Shvuas Takana. Basically, it's the rabbinic. It's a Takana. You don't. Yes, biblically, you don't take an oath on on this. But here, you know, this if you basically, oh, sorry, your shekel got lost, right? So A, nobody's going to be happy, and B, it's it, it's a disrespect to Hefesh that you basically can just say whoops and there's going to be no consequence. So there has to be a shavua in order to, you know, show some, res- in order to make you more careful and in order that there's respect to the hectic. But it's rabbinic. Al daite de Rebbe Yochanan, according to the position of Rebbe Yochanan, nicha nishpahim ligizbarim. We understand the scenario that when, that, they, that when it's considered already collected, they have to take an oath to the treasurers. Vimlav nishpahim ligizbarim. And in the other case, when it hasn't been the truma yet, they take the oath to the villagers. And as the Mishnah says, then the people have to give other ones. That's all because of this Takana. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says that it's considered owned by the Bnei Ha'ir, because if they lose it, it's there, it's out of, it's there out of their pocket, and therefore it's not considered Hekdesh. So the scenario where they swear to the villagers, yes, that works with Rabbi Shimon, because it's like the villagers' money and it's not Hekdesh. But but to swear to the Gizbarin, right, when it's considered already collected, Gizbarin Mayavitatayu. What are the Gizbarin doing? It's not the Gizbarin's money, it's Hektish's money. Mm-hmm. So in the second case of the Mishnah, where Hektish loses out, in the first case, where Hektish loses out, 
and they swear to Hektesh, you've got a problem. That's a real oath on Hektesh. Not only is the money Kadosh, it's owned by Hektesh. So where would be, there would no, be no norm, it has to be a Takana. There's no normal place here for a normal Is that clear? Meaning, mm-hmm. if you say it's not a Takana, you take a Shvua if the person losing is a, is, is a lay person. Then even if the money is Hektesh, you take a Shvua according to Rabbi Shimon without a Takana. But in the case where you're taking the, uh, this oath to the Gizbarin, so the money is hektesh, the owners are hektesh, there's no reason other than a takana to take the shur and that. One minute. So that's Umar's question. So the Gabar, now it says, and you wanted to know where there's a bodily part, so let's look at the Gemara's answer. So the Gemara's question is, where do you, why are you swearing to the Gizbarin in that case? So the Gemara says, no. You swear to the villagers in the presence of the Gizbarin. Why are you swearing to the villagers? They're exempt from their obligation. And why are the Gizbarim present? So you shouldn't be suspected, you the, the, the deliverers. They shouldn't treat you as negligent. So according to this, it sounds like you're going to swear to the villagers, not because their money is lost, they don't actually have to pay any money in this case, but because they don't want to say, you guys, you're good for nothing. You are, you're negligent on the job. Or maybe you pocketed the money. You embezzled the, money. You embezzled the <laughs> money. So even though the villagers aren't losing out of their funds, because it already was considered belonging to Hectage, you have to swear to them so they're not angry at you. Okay, when it says Gizburn, it just means that the Gizburn were present. One minute. Um, now, uh, now, the problem with this answer is, is that it doesn't really fit here because, you know... Um, well, I mean, it could, like many Dachuk answers in the Gemara, it's saying it's not what you thought. There's no oath to, to, to the, to the, what are you, to the Gizbarin. You know, it's only to the villagers. But also, this Shavua then, that you shouldn't be angry at me or suspect me, is not traditional Shavua. Even this Shavua is a rabbinic Shavua. So anyway, it could make sense, and that is the answer, but what some of the misfortune points out is, is that this line, is something that the Bavli says when dealing with this Mishnah in a different discussion for a different reason. And it's an answer to a different question in the Bavli. And they say that this whole line here was incorrectly grafted from the Bavli into this sugya. And it actually, if you look at the Ksav Yad Leiden, this whole answer of Nishvayim Lubnei Ha'ir B'mamad Gizbarin isn't in the Ksav Yad Leiden. So this would be an example of something that has a graph from a Bavli that doesn't really fit so well here. You could make it fit. Yeah, the mission doesn't mean it. It means something else for a totally different reason. But again, it most likely is just something imported from the Bavli. One minute. I just want to finish this point. And even though... Now, here's another halacha. Let's say... This is a new point. Let's say the villagers say, Look, you know what? Our money was lost after you did the truma. We feel bad about that. We're going to give a new donation. We're going to actually re-give a shekel and we're going to get our guys who delivered it off from having to make a shvua. What do you care, Hectic? We're just going to give the money again. Okay? The halach is no. You still have to make a shvua because basically this is the takana. The takana is you should never be seen as being negligent with Hectic's funds. So even if at the end of the day you're going to reimburse Hectic, it won't get you out of the shvua. We insist in quite the takana that you don't get that you don't get off of the funds. I just want to. I have to hold the questions. I just want to get to the mis- to, to the next mission. We should at least finish that. We'll just go for two more minutes. Now, let's say a case, somebody, I'm not a village, privately, I separated off my shekel, and now I can't find my shekel. Okay, you have to always know a shekel. Why not? Dog. Okay, but listen to this. Until you hand it over to the gizbar, or maybe until they do the truma. Okay, question, would it matter if you're doing it at an individual level as opposed to a village level? But now here's the real chiddush. He says, what do you mean lost? This money belongs to the base of Mishnah. It belongs to God. Wherever it is, it's God. Okay, God knows where it is. Now that's, of course, this funny idea, which is the difference between the sort of Kedusha of the object and God in the abstract owner and Hektish as a real-world institution, like the Vatican's bank, you know, is huge as a real-world institution. So the, Hek- the bank of the Hektish doesn't know where it is. But God knows where it is. So you're not high. I gave my shekel. Wherever it is, that's where it is. So, okay, so, the entire sugya that we did. So that's what the Gemara right. has to ask. Mm-hmm. So why, why don't the people that are carrying the money say wherever it is? That's where it is. The Ganavim, they have it. Go right. So, so let's take a look. So, okay. 
Masnisa, our Mishnah, Pliga Ripsim and Lakis, Nishbain with Neir, Neir Shokin Tachem. Why would you ever have to? Why do you make a Shrua to the right. Hektish? Fine, because you don't, you don't want Hektish to be, you know, you want to show you weren't ir- irresponsible and you do that even if they're getting their money. But why would the Neir have to give a second time? The Neir could just say, wherever the money is, it belongs to Hektish. So, lo So it says, you know what? You're right. According, so, um, one minute. Um, oh no! So they switch the gears to something like lo hi mishum takana as opposed to shur takana. They say you're right. That's a takana as well. But Reish Lakish is saying is miikar hadin. The city people would never have to pay again because whoever has the money, the ganavim, it's lost. We not, we we sanctified the money. We were yoseir God knows where it is. The only reason they have to reimburse, pay a second time is pure. The same way the Shavua was a Takana, this is a Takana. So it's a fascinating idea. Technically speaking, they would never have to pay again because it's wherever it is, it belongs to God. I just want to finish to the Mishnah. Tani, Harishonim, now let's say you had to give a second time because it got stolen and then the old stuff was found. What do you do with the double funds? Where do they go to? Do they all go to this year's Korbanos? What do you do with them? So we talk in the bright stuff. Harishonim, the first of the funds, Noflim Lutaklin Charitin, are used for the new Shekel, for the new Korbanot. Hashnim, the second of the funds, Noflim Lutaklin go to back, you know, payments, and whatever we do with old Shkalim, with funds that were collected for old debts, we would do with the second of the funds. Now, which is the first and which is the second? Okay, so that's the question. Which is the first and which is the second? In the case where they were stolen, you gave again, and then they were found. Or return. So a debate of these two That's the uh, that would seem the obvious thing. The ones that you originally gave that got lost and then found again or stolen in return, those are the first funds. And those go for the new korbanos. The ones you had to give uh, you had to give the second time because they got lost. That's considered that will go for old, old shekel. The the other says a more interesting answer. Now you got two sets of funds, so, and you got to get them both to the base. <laughs> so the first ones to get to the gizbarin, those are for your new shekels. The second funds which you were forced to give, that'll go to old funds and to whatever we do with Ochkal, and we will do with them. All right. So 